Okay, well today, of course, it's Passover and we have our Seder uh, to, uh, uh, tonight. And um, when we think, especially in a Messianic uh, Jewish congregation, and we think about uh, Passover, we think about Messiah's table. So there's certainly uh, no more appropriate time than uh, now, uh, than today, for uh, Messiah's table. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, it is our tradition to have it every uh, month, uh, but we haven't uh, had it every month uh, lately uh, because of uh, trying to organize it in such a way that it is not only just people available doing it, you know, but that uh, it really is understood for the uh, uh, importance uh, that it uh, that it has for us, and so um, right now we're doing it a, a little bit less often, uh, and asking our leadership uh, to uh, engage and to serve uh, because uh, of uh, of its importance in our lives. And sometimes, and it's just the nature of being human, and none of us can escape that. I don't think, right? That when you do things that fall into the category of a rite, R-I-T-E, or a tradition, or something that you do more than once, it becomes like a routine. A root, no matter what it is, like you have to fight it. You know, even like our weekly service. Just having the weekly service. I say that all the time, don't I? You know, when we take out the Torah, that it's not just having a service, but it's something that we always have to fight because we fight time. We fight the, uh, the frenzy of our lives, the own egg, what we have to do later today, or whether, it, whether it's here or elsewhere, and it just becomes like, okay, got through that one, uh, next, next, you know, next thing on the list. And we don't mean for that to happen, certainly we don't mean for that to happen, but it's sort of the nature of being human. So sometimes we have to stop and uh, step back a little bit and uh, look at something afresh and appreciate it all over again. But don't we do that like uh, in our relationships, right? Uh, like in a marriage. I, uh, you know, at the beginning, it's, uh, Lord willing, all uh, excitement and uh, love, and we can't wait to see you after work. And then after a little while, you have children, and you have this, and it's, you know, and, uh, and it gets real busy, and then you have to, everything is routine, and you have to stop, and you have to say, wait a minute, we need to take some time and be refreshed, right? And so, I, uh, with Messiah's Table, it's kind of, uh, kind of the same thing. You know, a few years ago, that's, no, a number of years ago, I, I, uh, I was, in fact, it was when we were still on Hamilton Road, uh, if, you, if you were here then, maybe you remember, I preached through the entire book of 1 Corinthians, Right, uh, and uh, chapter eleven uh, had a real profound effect. Chapter eleven talks about where Paul is admonishing the the uh, congregants there in Corinth not to take Messiah's table lightly, basically, and and you know they were uh, coming together because they were hungry and thirsty, and that and they were kind of bickering, and and he says, whoa, 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 this is a holy thing, you know, and so that made me think at that time that uh, rather than tack it on to the end of the service, we need to uh, uh, make it much more a part of the service. So that's when we started kind of doing it a little earlier in the service. Like I'd say a few things, and then we'd have Messiah's table and then uh, talk some more. Uh, and, uh, and then sometimes we've done Messiah's table as, as a whole meal, which is very interesting. I know at our last men's retreat we did that. And we do it several, you know, other times. We've done that as well. All in an effort <laughs> to understand the import of uh, this very important act that we engage in. So today I thought uh, we would uh, uh, talk about that. And uh, we read about uh, uh, the Passover of Yeshua, that last Seder, the uh, last supper, and uh, how he... Uh, talked about the bread and the cup. And one place that we're familiar with it probably is in the Gospel of Luke in the 22nd chapter, uh, beginning in verse 14. 
Uh, and it says there, And when the hour had come, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall never eat it again uh, until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. So, you know, I'm just going to pause there and just say, isn't it interesting? Right there, right there, he say, he's saying that, you know, Passover has importance for me and therefore us now, but also in the future. Like there's going to be another Seder coming, you know? So that's kind of interesting. Uh, and then in verse 17, And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he said, Take this and share it amongst yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. Again, emphasizing that. And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Okay, well, we're going to stop there. Uh, and that is one place where we read about those words at the Seder. Uh, they're repeated in uh, different ways in, in all the Gospels, as well as in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 11. And we're very familiar with those words because oftentimes, uh, whether it's here or another assembly of believers, whenever uh, you have this, those words get repeated. So we're very, very familiar uh, with, uh, you know, with those words. And so, as we know, Yeshua celebrated Passover, uh, and he inaugurated this important rite for us as he applied the matzah, which became known as the afikomen, right? Uh, as we're familiar uh, with it at the Seder, and we'll talk also more about that this evening, of course. Uh, when he applied the afikomen to himself and the cup of redemption at the Seder, that third cup of redemption, uh, to himself. Uh, and then, thankfully, he explains in what way the elements are to be related uh, to him. He talks about what the cup is and what the, the, the bread is. And, and you know, uh, there are all kinds of uh, traditions and doctrines about uh, what that means. But what's interesting is, uh, is when he explains the purpose and the meaning of the matzah and the cup, he does not say... To do this, he doesn't say, do this to symbolize me. And he also does not say, do this to ingest me. Okay? Uh, but he says, do this to remember me. He says, do this to remember me. And so we want to understand today, uh, uh, we want to have our eyes open to understand what it means to remember him. And so it's very interesting that in the passage it says, when you do this, remember me. So that remember me must hold, I think, the key to this interaction with the bread in a cup. Okay? Yes, there are plenty of other passages of Scripture that we, that we can look at and that we will uh, very briefly uh, look at. But right here is where he says, uh, as often as you do this, when you do this, remember me. Uh, and uh, sometimes, uh, uh, you know, if you're at a, at a place that has like a nice table, right, uh, where uh, the little trays are, it might say like engraved in the table, like in remembrance of me, right? That is a, that is a key. And just to show you uh, how far I've come, uh, when I was uh, a brand new uh, believer in Messiah Yeshua, uh, I was uh, somewhere where they had this, and the words were, in, were you know, in the, in the wood of the table. And, uh, and I walked up to someone and said, well, that is really neat. Who wrote that? You know, like, who came up with that idea, you know, in remembrance of me? I didn't even know it was in the Bible. You know what I mean? So, uh, so we've come a long way. There we go. Uh, so those words are uh, very, very important. So, you know, to remember especially, uh, you know, in the ancient Hebrew understanding of it, was not simply uh, something cognitive, like, like remembering to turn off the range before I leave the house, or remembering to lock the door before I leave, or remembering that great time we had many years ago, or simply remember, don't forget what the Lord did for you, like don't actually uh, forget, like what did he do? I don't remember. 
You know? Oh, yes. Uh, remember. No. That is, of course, that's involved in it because you have to be able to recall uh, it to appreciate it and, and to make it a part of your life. But it is not really the main thing, okay? Because it's interesting, you know, the Bible talks about God remembering things, okay? You know that? The Bible talks about God remembering things. I, I, for example, I, uh, to save a little time, I'll just turn to one place. In uh, Leviticus chapter 26, in uh, uh, Leviticus chapter 26, he talks about remembering his covenant, okay? Uh, it says there in verse uh, 42, <clears throat> Then I will remember my covenant with Jacob, and I will remember also my covenant with Isaac, and my covenant with Abraham, as well as I will remember the land. A lot of remembering going on here, right? Uh, it says, For the land shall be abandoned by them, and shall make up for its Sabbaths while it is made desolate uh, without her. Uh, they, meanwhile, shall be making amends for their iniquity because they rejected my ordinances and my soul abhorred my statutes. Yet in spite of this, when they are in the land of their enemies, I will not reject them, nor will I so abhor them so as to destroy them, breaking my covenant with them, for I am the Lord their God. But I will remember for, uh, I, but I will remember for them the covenant with their ancestors whom I brought out of the land of Egypt in the sight of the nations, that I might be their God. I am the Lord. So his remembering is, not, is also not, uh, like, I can't remember the promise I made to Abraham. What was it again? Right? It's not at all what that means. Remembering the covenant means enacting the covenant. And we have the key to it right here at the end of verse 45, that I might be their God. I am the Lord. So remembering has to do with engagement. Remembering has to do with engagement. When God remembers his covenant, he's engaging the people. Okay? It's not just some foreign king who says, I made a promise to be nice, so I'll be nice. Sometimes that's what we think, that that's what you know, God does. No, it is, it is remembering in terms of engagement. Right? And then uh, you can read on your own. It's very interesting. In Deuteronomy, uh, at the plain of Moab, on the plains of Moab, Moses is constantly reminding the people not to forget God. Don't forget God. When you go into the land, don't forget God. Remember, 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 remember. Remember the miracle at Sinai. Remember the Ten Commandments. Uh, remember what happened when you didn't uh, um, um, believe. Remember, remember, remember. But that also is not simply just cognitive recall. Because he also says in those passages, don't forget. And so the definition, one time at a UMJC conference, I did a big teaching on remembering and forgetting in Deuteronomy. It's very interesting. Uh, and so remembering is engaging the covenant, trusting God, being obedient. That's all engaging God. Forgetting means disobedience. Forgetting God means to disobey. Disobey means that I am not then in to use the, the parlance that we like to use, not in fellowship with God. I'm not engaging a God. So to remember, therefore, is to engage. So when Yeshua says, remember me, this is very interesting. He says, me, not remember what I did, remember what I'm going to do, remember uh, the important uh, works that I've done, remember my words. He says, remember me, just me. It's very personal, okay? And so when he says, uh, as often as you do this, remember me, this remember me thing means somehow engage him in this. When you do this, engage me. Don't just remember it and, and appreciate it and find it fascinating and interesting and want to study up more on it, but engage me, okay? So this is very important that he says, remember, and he says, me. <laughs> They're both very important words here. So when we have Messiah's table, in some way, shape, or form, we need to be engaging him. Okay? All right. So remembering. Very, very important. Now, I, something else that is rather interesting here, okay, 
is uh, the concept of remembrance meals in the Bible, okay? Meals of remembrance. Now, I'll tell you, I'm calling them meals of remembrance. We could call them covenant meals, okay? Whatever we want to call them. And again, for the sake of time, I'm just going to mention three. Three doozies, okay? Uh, Not even having anything to do with Passover, okay? One is in Exodus 24. You can turn over there. Exodus 24. Now, uh, Exodus is like, uh, uh, I love to teach on Exodus, and I love when we have our Torah studies in Exodus, because it is a playground for interpretation and observing, observing because the chapters are not exactly in order. And, and uh, what I would say, and of course because I've read about it and, and, uh, and have really been enlightened in certain ways by uh, um, some very uh, interesting Bible uh, scholars, that when you read the Bible and things are not in order, they're not in order for a reason. Like, you're supposed to get something about the fact they're not in order. And you know who said this first? You ready? You want to buckle your seatbelt? Rashi said that first. Isn't that interesting? Uh, and, it's, and there's a little phrase in, uh, in the Talmud uh, and in rabbinic literature about passages that are not in order. And there's a little phrase about passages not being in order. And, it's, and it, it symbolizes the idea that, wow, there must be something there, right? Uh, because when Rashi used to write, he would write, uh, in fact, there's a little phrase people like to say, what's bothering Rashi, okay? Because uh, most Jewish commentators, including him, didn't write like straight commentaries, like about every verse, but only about things that bothered them, right? And so all of these uh, from 19 to 24, uh, well, well, actually, nine, from chapter 19 of Exodus to the end of the book, is, is not in exactly in order. So in chapter 24 of uh, Exodus, you have really this scene of the covenant when they're going to go up the mountain, right? Even though uh, chapter 19 talks about going up the mountain. Interesting. So when they're uh, 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 ready to go up the mountain, right, you have this very interesting uh, uh, engagement with God, all right? Uh, and uh, uh, let's see, you, um, uh, let's see, should I read that? Yeah, okay. Beginning in verse 9, it says, Then Moses went up with Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and several of the elders of Israel, and they saw the God of Israel. And under his feet there appeared to be a pavement of sapphire, as clear as the sky itself. Yet he did not stretch out his hand against the nobles of the sons of Israel. And they beheld God, and they ate and drank. They beheld God and they ate and drank. That is a fascinating little statement. So here, they beheld God and they ate a meal. They had a meal. They, they, uh, they engaged God in a meal. Now, we don't know exactly what they ate and what they drank. There's lots of speculation. But we're just going to say here, isn't that fascinating? That you have this covenant meal or covenant meal of remembrance. Remembering God. They engaged God eating and drinking. Okay. And this is, of course, the inauguration of the uh, covenant relationship of the Jewish people uh, with God. Okay. So the inauguration of that covenant. Then, if you turn to the book of Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 25, this part of Isaiah uh, is very much uh, eschatological like end times oriented, this, this section uh, of the book of Isaiah. Okay? So talking about the, uh, you know, the, the consummation of things, this is some of my favorite. I love these, these verses, beginning in verse 6. Beginning in verse 6. And the Lord of hosts will prepare a lavish banquet for all peoples on this mountain, a banquet of aged wine, choice pieces with marrow and refined aged wine. And on this mountain he will swallow up the covering which is over all peoples, even the veil which is stretched out over all nations. He will swallow up death for all time. And the Lord God will wipe tears away from all faces. And he will remove the reproach of his people from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken, and it will be said on that day. Here is another meal, another covenantal meal, another meal of remembrance, engaging God, this time at the consummation, 
These are not just meals at any old time. They're very significant moments. Okay? So we see there in Exodus, when, they're going to, when Moses is going to go all the way to the top of the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights, they, have, they engage God and have this meal. Now, at the consummation, I, I, when the Lord appears again, we would say from a new covenant perspective, that there'll be another banquet, right? And then you know that, <clears throat> may I suggest, that perhaps this is spoken about again in the revelation of John in chapter 19, all right, in verses 7 to 9. All right, uh, we read here in Revelation 19. Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and the bride has made herself ready. That's us. And it will be given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints, of the holy ones. And he said to me, write, write it down. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these words are true. These are true words of God. Another meal. We read about it here uh, in Revelation. Remember a few years ago, I gave a message on this called the third Seder, you know? Uh, and, and so you see these three covenant meals of remembrance. Uh, and in all of these cases, remembering God is engaging him, having fellowship with him in this context of eating and drinking. Okay? All right. So, now going back to that Seder for a minute, okay? At that last Seder, Yeshua is in essence saying, I want, to engage, I want you to engage me when you have the matzah and the cup because I am the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But engage me. Don't just thank me. Don't just appreciate me. But uh, en engage me. All right. So Yeshua uses the Seder as the context to introduce a way for Messiah followers to engage him in a unique kind of way. He speaks of the matzah as the cup, as his body and his blood, emphasizing his sacrifice for our sins and the resulting atonement and, and frankly, uh, resurrection and inauguration of a new covenant. And, of course, we note that today, we, uh, we especially as uh, Ashkenazi Jews, uh, Jews from Europe, North America mostly, uh, uh, that we don't eat lamb, and the matzah uh, is the lamb's substitute, and, and uh, we are remembering Yeshua, the Lamb of God, as, as you know, when you come to the Seder, and we'll be talking um, even more about that this evening. But there's more, and this is rather interesting. I wonder if we've ever thought about this. When Yeshua did this, they ate lamb, right? They ate a lamb, right? But he does not engage the lamb. He doesn't hold up the lamb. He holds up the matzah. He doesn't hold up the lamb. I thought that was interesting, right? He could have said, they're eating the lamb. The lamb, like, this is my body, you know, because he, he's the lamb of God. He doesn't say, I'm the, I'm the matzah of God. Ooh, or does he? Okay, uh, uh, he takes that matzah. So perhaps as much as he is using this, the Passover in the context to identify himself as the lamb of God, he's also bringing together some other things as well in engaging the bread and the cup, okay, right? Until this moment, I know some of us have been saying, of course, you've said this like a thousand times, until right now, until this thing about the lamb. Wait a minute. He didn't say it about the lamb. He says it about the bread. Fascinating and very helpful uh, uh, for us. Because when you look about, you know, Last Wednesday morning in our, um, in our Bible study, we uh, looked at all the passages in the book of Revelation about the Lamb. And that is really fascinating about the Lamb. But you know, what's also interesting is to look at some of the places in the Bible where it talks about bread, right? After all, even though Yeshua did say, this is my body, right? He was looking at the matzah, unleavened bread. So, fascinating. Well, you may know uh, some of these places. One of them is, of course, the manna, right? The what's this, right? The, uh, the bread from heaven, as, uh, as it is called. The bread of God, the bread from heaven, the bread of the angels. Uh, that's what it says. Uh, you can read it on uh, uh, yourself in Exodus chapter 16, right? 
you know the story that they were uh, complaining about uh, uh, the, uh, uh, the lack of uh, suitable uh, food to eat. And so God supernaturally sends them food. Okay, right? Okay. God supernaturally sends them food. And this food is this weird stuff. Okay? I, uh, that that uh, kind of tastes a little bit like uh, Eretz Yisrael. You know, sweet like honey and so on and so forth. Very interesting. But bread of God. And also, you know, in the Psalms, it is referred to as bread from heaven. Uh, it, you know, in Exodus 16 in the fourth verse, it's great. What a great, it's such a poetic statement. I will rain bread on you, right? Like God's bread. And when you read it later in the Psalms, you know, one of the things it tells us when you read that later in the Psalms, that, wow, this was really um, important, and people were talking about it, and at some point, somebody wrote a song about it, okay? This bread from heaven, this bread uh, uh, from a God, manna uh, from God. Right? Well, you know, it's interesting that uh, in uh, both some of the apocryphal literature and very interestingly in rabbinic literature, there are several places where you have comments. I, you know, um, I don't really have time to get into it, I guess, but I'll just say, you know, when you read a comment in the Talmud or in rabbinic literature, one thing you always want to remember, that's not like systematic theology. All it means is somebody said it. <laughs> okay, that's, that's what it means. Okay, it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean, it says that that is what everybody believed, and that's what they were hanging their hat on. No, but it does mean that it was there, and not everything is written in the rabbinic literature. Did you know that? You know how we say that, that um, uh, the oral uh, traditions were written down, you know, around 200 AD in the Mishnah, right? And then that was commented on in what's called the Gemara, and that's what makes up the Babylonian Talmud. And there's also a Jerusalem Talmud as well. But anyway, not everything was written down. So if it was written down, that means that it was kind of well known. But again, not some statement of systematic theology. But what is interesting is that in this literature, it's like sprinkled. It's almost like taking a little salt shaker, you know? It's not everywhere. And sometimes it's like embedded in uh, discussions about entirely different topics. But you do read of uh, supernatural meanings and end time coming of a Messiah type uh, meanings of this, uh, of this uh, uh, mana, okay? And that the mana in some places even speaks of the Messiah or that the Messiah will bring mana or, the, or uh, we're waiting for the mana from heaven, meaning uh, a.k.a. the olam haba, you know, that, that, kind of, uh, that kind of thing. Well, it should not, therefore, escape us that Yeshua uh, himself talks about the manna as this bread from heaven in, uh, in the Gospel of John in the sixth chapter. Okay? So it's interesting that this would not have been something uh, totally foreign if the people were a little bit knowledgeable. It would not have been totally foreign. It wasn't coming out of, you know, out of thin air, so to speak. He was, uh, humanly speaking, a product of the milieu that he lived in and, uh, and, and so on. So uh, he speaks about himself uh, in very dramatic terms uh, as this bread from, from heaven. So I'm just going to read a few verses in John chapter 6 and verse 31. It says, Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread out of heaven uh, to eat. Yeshua therefore said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to uh, the world. They said to him, Lord, evermore, give us this bread. Yeshua said to them, I am the bread. Okay, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Okay? Uh, so he says, I am the bread of life. Okay? Then he begins to engage them some more. Uh, and then he says this. 
Now, he's going to repeat himself about being the bread of life in a number of other places. Uh, and he talks about, you know, believing in him. Uh, uh, but if you go all the way down to verse 54, he says, He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood uh, is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, uh, and I, uh, I in him. As the living uh, Father sent me, uh, and I live because of the Father, he who eats me also lives because of me. This is the bread which came down out of heaven. Not as the fathers ate and died, he who eats this bread uh, shall live forever. So he uses very dramatic words to, engage, to say to them, you need to engage me. I am the bread, you need to partake of me. You need to eat me, as it were. Okay? And then we see that people are balking naturally. say, what? What's he talking about? You know, uh, is he out of his mind? Uh, what's interesting is that he doesn't say, no, 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 you didn't understand what I was saying. Uh, he doesn't do that. Uh, but he does say, down in verse uh, 63, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. So it's interesting, when he talks about life, when he talks about the bread of life and partaking him and his and uh, the, uh, um, the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. He is talking about there and engaging him. But not just him there in that moment, and not only him in his uh, death, as some would uh, perhaps contend, but in his resurrection. Because he's the bread of life. Life comes because he conquered death, and rose from the dead. And we read a lot in the Brit Hadashah about engaging Yeshua, right? Abiding in him, living in him, engaging him. Uh, but clearly, uh, he uh, takes this concept of the manna. You, we, you can't disassociate the manna from the terms here. Okay, very important, all right? Uh, and so the manna, he's saying, I am the manna. I am, he's basically saying, I am the one sent from God. I am like no other person. You know, I am the Messiah. Uh, you know, I am uh, the son of man coming in the clouds. There's no one else like me, right? And so uh, he uh, uses uh, this uh, a terminology to talk about eating this bread. I am the bread of life. Now, you know, none of us, uh, none of us were present, but it is a very interesting to think that this was a major teaching of Yeshua. This is not something they were going to forget, okay? So you just got to wonder if at that Seder, when he's engaging the matzah and said, this is my body, you know, uh, you just got to wonder if they might have been thinking, I wonder if this has something to do with the mana. If this has something to do with uh, engaging him in this bread. So uh, it is, it is uh, uh, fascinating uh, uh, you know, to understand uh, the bread in, uh, in such a way. One thing's for sure, what Yeshua is saying, is that what you need to do is engage me. Engage me. All right? Okay. Uh, and um, uh, there's a lot more we could say on that, but we're going to, uh, we're going to move on. Uh, engaging the mana from heaven. That, I think, is, a, is, a, is very helpful when we uh, think about our fellowship with, uh, with the Lord and the concept of remembering, and the concept of remembering Him. Uh, in fact, you know, in the book of Revelation, uh, in chapter 2, Speaking of about those who overcome, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the, uh, the churches. To him who overcomes, to him I will give some of the hidden manna, 
and I will give him uh, a white stone and a new name written on the stone which no one can know but he who receives it. But it's interesting, that, that hidden mana. That's very interesting. I'm actually gonna, I'm going to talk a little bit more about that tonight at our, at our Seder, that hidden mana. But uh, again, this uh, food from God, this food from God, engaging uh, with this food from a God. Okay? Now, there's another use of bread, okay? Besides the mana, partaking of the mana, the supernatural understanding of the mana and of it ushering in the, the new age and all of that. And that is that we often, uh, because of the tradition of the King James Bible, uh, we usually call it showbread, right? Showbread, right? Okay. Uh, but that's not really what it is. Uh, it has a very interesting name, that showbread, right? Lechem panim. Bread of the face, or presence, really. Bread of the presence. Now, uh, it's very interesting. You, uh, you, I also say, no one knows exactly what that means. Okay? No one knows exactly what that means. You look at Jewish interpretations. You look at Christian interpretations. There's uh, a number of different things going on. But what we can do is observe what's happening. So we read those words in Exodus chapter 25. In Exodus chapter 25. Now it is just by uh, observation, kind of interesting, that at the end of chapter 24, they're, they're, they see God and they're eating and drinking, and then in the instructions for the tabernacle, there is this bread and drink uh, that the priests engage in, in acts of worship. Okay? So in chapter 25, uh, just to cut to the chase, in verses 28 uh, and uh, 29, speaking of carrying the tabernacle and this bread, it says, And you shall make the poles of acacia wood, and overlay them with gold, so that with them the table may be carried. And you shall make its dishes and its pans and its jars and its bowls with which to pour libations, you shall make them of pure gold, and you shall set the bread of the presence on the table before me at all times. So what we know is, is that this bread was like holy, okay? It's holy bread. It's not just bread. It has to do with worship, okay? And also uh, the, uh, the wine and the, uh, the libations. Libations were liquid offerings, Sometimes water, sometimes wine, okay? And so it was holy. Now, in another place, in uh, Leviticus uh, chapter 24, okay? In Leviticus chapter 24, there we read uh, a little bit more about this bread uh, uh, in verses 5 to 7. So it says here, uh, You shall take fine flour and bake twelve cakes, with it, two tenths of an ephah shall be in each cake. And you shall set them in two rows, six to a row, on a pure gold table before the Lord. And you shall put pure frankincense on each row, that it may be a memorial, a remembrance. Isn't that interesting? A remembrance portion for the bread, even an offering by fire to the Lord. And every Shabbat day he shall set it in order before the Lord, Continually, it is an everlasting covenant for the sons of Israel. So we see how ceremonially the bread would be eaten by the priest. It is an offering. Okay? Uh, and I, uh, so we see that there's this bread of the presence called the, the bread of the face, the bread of the face of God, and, uh, and libations, and a cup. And it is holy, and it is an offering uh, uh, to God. That in and of itself uh, is fascinating how important uh, this bread was. Okay? Uh, and certainly the priests, by engaging the bread in this way, just like engaging the other offerings, they were engaging God. The priests were engaging God. Okay? Now, you know what's also interesting uh, about this is that uh, first, Again, in that rabbinic literature, there's a few places where this bread has supernatural powers. It did not escape uh, the ancient sages. 
that, wow, this bread, they're engaging God with this bread. Uh, so again, it has some like uh, end time coming of the Messiah uh, uh, meeting, meanings, okay? And then we read about it also in a place that was made famous by Yeshua, uh, but it's very interesting. We read about it in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 21. And it has to do with that passage where David is running and they're famished and they eat the, and they eat the bread of the presence. And Yeshua relates that to why his disciples could eat, could pick grain on, on Shabbat and so on. But in the first Samuel passage, uh, it says in verse 3, okay, so they're hungry, here they are, they're before the priest. Now therefore, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread, whatever can be found. And the priest answered David and said, there is no ordinary bread on hand. Isn't there no ordinary bread on hand? No common bread. But there is consecrated bread. So see, this is interesting. We learn about how this bread of the presence was understood. Okay? Consecrated bread. If only the young men have kept themselves from women. Okay? So pure. The men had to be pure. They had to be sanctified, consecrated. And you know, that's the very same thing it says about being at the foot of Mount Sinai, you know, in, in Exodus chapter 19, about being, you know, keeping themselves from women. Then it says, And David answered the priest and said to him, Surely women have been kept from us as previously when I set out, uh, and the vessels of the young men were holy, though it was an ordinary journey. How much more then today were their will their vessels be holy? So the priest gave them the consecrated bread, for there was no bread there but the bread of the presence which was removed from before the Lord in order to put hot bread in its place when it was taken away. Well, the point is, is that this was holy bread, okay? Uh, dedicated unto God. And it was a meal and a sacrifice and normally used by the priest to, uh, as a, in a unique way to relate to God. So let me just say something about how these priests related to God by eating. It's kind of interesting, okay? So we're talking about the bread but you know that all sacrificial eating had to do with holy engagement with God. It's very interesting. Uh, uh, when you read about uh, how the priest would ingest, for example, the, the, uh, the sin offering, they would eat it. Okay, Very interesting. Jewish commentators uh, uh, say, uh, a couple in particular uh, who are known are just uh, Leviticus scholars, sacrifice scholars about the sacrifices, that by eating the sin offering, they were, in a sense, like taking the sin on themselves. There was this thought. And that they're engaging God on behalf of the people. The point being is that their eating before God had to do with them engaging God. That, that's the point. It's fascinating. Whether it's the bread, whether it's what they're drinking, uh, or uh, these offerings. Okay? Uh, and, and the peace offering is the one, by the way, that would be shared with uh, the priest and the offerer. And it was sometimes referred to as a fellowship offering for that reason. And, uh, and uh, in uh, chapter 7 of Leviticus, uh, that particular offering, listen to this, it says, uh, you need to uh, uh, take it from the lambs, you need to eat it the same day, and you need to eat it with unleavened bread. Does that sound familiar? It sounds very similar to what you read about in Exodus chapter 12 regarding the pastoral lamb, regarding the Passover lamb. Therefore, many conclude that it either was or was similar or is making a point that it is like a thank offering. Uh, and the thank offering was one that was shared. And so the priest and the person are having this communion together. They're communing together in the presence of God in a holy kind of way not just symbolizing forgiveness or anything like that or a reward or appreciating or and but they're engaging god in this unique and holy way okay so uh, you know it's interesting that in the um uh, 12th chapter of matthew yeshua says when he when he uses this illustration of david eating the the bread of the presence right he says, uh, uh, he's talking about it, and, and he says how that was, you know, holy bread in the temple, and he says, but something greater than the temple is here, right? And of course, he's talking about himself. He's talking about uh, him, uh, himself, right? All right. And so, the eating and drinking 
what we have spent our time talking about, the eating and drinking uh, are, are ways, are signs and instruments of the presence of God, of, of being in the presence of God, okay? But one thing I think is also interesting is that I'm not so sure that Yeshua, nor anyone else in the text here, is so concerned with, I'll use a big word and I'll explain, the ontology of the bread and the cup. Like, what is the bread and the cup made out of? I don't think that's what Yeshua was focused on. I think what he was focused on is his presence, his holy presence in a holy moment as they're taking the matzah and the cup and engaging him. And sometimes we miss that. And that's what happens. You know, we become, we become so um, concerned about what is this that we kind of miss the whole point. All right? Uh, and so even when Yeshua is saying, eat my flesh, drink my blood, uh, he's talking about engaging him in a dynamic, radical kind of way. In the very same way, using the same ideas as the, how, the ma, how God engaged the people through the manna uh, and the bread of the presence. But now he's like, you know, uh, exponentially moving forward with it. See? And, and we engage him in a radical, dynamic way. In the very same way we might say that, um, uh, you know, people, the Spirit of God came upon people uh, in the, uh, uh, you know, before Yeshua came. And now he dwells in us. He's in us all the time. Remember uh, a few weeks ago in 1 John, we were talking about eternal life, and it's not just something we have, but it's his life that we're engaging. See, that's all these things. And here, in a very physical way, he's saying, here is a holy moment how I want to engage you. Okay? And it depicts this radical relationship that we have with God. That is why I would suggest that uh, Paul is so upset in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We don't have time to read it. You can read it on your own. He's upset because they're not taking it seriously. And he says, you might get sick. You might die if you don't eat it right. Why? Because it's like desecrating the temple, not coming to Messiah's table in a holy way. That's why we need to confess our sins when we have Messiah's table. That's why we need to be prepared. We need to have the right heart attitude because we are engaging a holy moment of interaction with God. It binds us together as a community and most importantly, we as a community are engaging in the holiness of God. See, So it is, uh, it is a, a very uh, um, um, uh, heavy kavod, you know, Holy means heavy. It's a real heavy moment when we have Messiah's table. Because if we are understanding the Lord and know him, uh, and we're walking with the Lord, when we engage this, we are engaging the holiness of God in our midst. You know? Uh, and uh, it's, it's sort of like how, how when Paul says, you know, in, um, in Galatians, I'm dead, but Messiah lives in me. And the life that I live, I, I live by faith, uh, you know, in the Son of God, right? So someone might say, well, was he like it literally inside of you? It says he's inside. Is he literally inside of you? Yeah, well, uh, yeah, but it's kind of a mystical, invisible uh, kind of activity. It's not like there's like Yeshua like inside of me like that, like, you know, okay? And so when we take the matzah and we drink the cup, uh, we are engaging God, and we are, in a sense, we are remembering him with all that that means. We are indeed remembering him, engaging him, both as individuals and uh, as, a, uh, as a, a community. Now, finally, just this. Remember that Yeshua said he would not eat the Passover again until he returns, until he appears again. The manna lasted, you know, during the wilderness wanderings. It began when they left Egypt, and it ended when they entered the land, right? Sustenance for the journey. 
So perhaps the engagement with God in Messiah's table, as he has uh, articulated it in, uh, you know, in the Brit Hadashah, uh, as his way of saying to us, I will never leave you, nor will I forsake you on this journey. My presence is with you, and radically so, of course, as he said, when you take this matzah and drink this cup, but there will be a day when he will come again, when he will appear again. I always like to say that. When he will appear again, and we will engage him in this magnanimous meal, this lavish banquet. You know, we have lavish banquets in our world. You know, my daughter got married a couple of years ago. I'll tell you, that was a lavish banquet, right? And you can think maybe of, of a great, great banquets and great banquet halls that you've been to. But there will be nothing like that banquet. There will be nothing like that banquet when we are engaging the Lord in his physical presence in our midst at the consummation, at the marriage supper of the Lamb. But until then, may we engage him in a radical profound kind of way, yes, all the time, but most definitely at Messiah's table. Let's pray. Lord uh, God, we thank you for Messiah's table, for this uh, wonderful way of experiencing you, your presence, as individuals and as a community. Lord uh, uh, God, uh, I do pray for each of us right now that this would be a profound moment as we engage you, Lord, as we engage you as a community. So, uh, Lord, I pray that we might understand the gravity and the holiness of the moment, Lord. And may we take some time to meditate on this as we uh, uh, distribute the, uh, the elements. And, Lord, I do pray that when we, we will partake together, and as we do, may it be a real moment of remembering. We pray in Yeshua's name.